Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. I want to encourage you to turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to read a passage in just a moment from Philippians chapter 4. Before we do that, I just want to offer a moment of a family talk, conversation here uh, during the season of Advent. Uh, you know that as we move toward the end of the year, one of the greatest opportunities we have during the season in which we celebrate the gift of God, God giving of God's own life to us, we have an opportunity to partner with God in the ongoing work of reconciling the world in Jesus Christ. That's why you've heard me lately talking to you as members of our congregation and friends about making this month the most extravagant, generous month of the whole year, to make sure that at the end of this year, we give generously to make sure that we can finish the ministry budget very strong. Now, if you're a guest with us here, and maybe this is the first time you've been to JCBC or the first time in a long time, and you're here and we're talking about giving money, well, I want you to hear with a different set of ears. That's not how we think of it here. What we think of it, the way we think of it here at JCBC is what we give to God is our life. And there's nothing in that life that is off limits to God. So when we give financially, especially at the end of the year here, we have an opportunity to finish this budget year strong and position ourselves in a way that allows us the freedom and strength of leading into the next year, 2022, ready to go wherever Christ calls us and do whatever Christ calls us to do in his name. So one way that we're asking us to do that is to give generously at the end of this year. The second way is I'm calling on all JCBC members to complete your pledge for the upcoming year. Now, this week earlier, I sent you a letter explaining kind of where we are in terms of the vision of rebuilding the church for the Lord in the coming year. And what we pledge postures us to be able to do that. And I'm asking you to join us. All of your pastors are pledging. And we're asking that you would join us. We're not going to ask you to do anything that we wouldn't ask that we're not going to ask you to do anything that we wouldn't do ourselves. And this is what we're doing. We pray that you would join us. And you don't have to wait to get a card in the mail. You can jump online at jcbc.org forward slash pledge as an act of worship. If I see you on your phone during the sermon, I will just assume that you're, you're, you're putting a lot of zeros at the end of your, your pledge. You know, I'm kidding. But I, I do encourage you to not waste another moment and make sure you pledge for the support of Christ and his bride, the church, in the coming year. But, but something that we're going to do to make sure you, you can do that is I know that many of you have been pledging and giving generously for uh, most of your, your, your adult life, maybe most of your Christian life at least. But for some, I know this is your story. You want to give. You want to participate financially in supporting the mission of this church, but maybe you're so underwater that you just can't imagine it. Maybe you're so under debt right now, 
and you have so little freedom that you can't possibly imagine being generous to, to your church. Well, that's where we want to help you. So the class that, in, if you're in traditional, so Family Life Center, we, we heard a testimony during the lighting of our peace candle uh, from the Starvosniks who, who gave testimony to the power of Financial Peace University in coming to the place where they are to be able to give generously uh, and to live freely in this journey. We are offering that class this next year in January. So starting on January the 9th, during the Sunday school hour. So, so if you have kids, you don't have to worry about getting a sitter. Bring them to Sunday school and they'll grow in Christ and their love for Jesus as you go through this Financial Peace University class. It's a nine-week class and there's a small fee for materials, but you can also gift this class for someone in your family who you know needs to go, but perhaps wouldn't take the initiative. You can make that your Christmas gift. And the reason is if we are free, then we are in a position to be able to give generously. If we are free, we're in a position to be able to participate in the ministries of the church rather than it being some unnecessary guilt trip that you feel from week to week. Let us help you become free enough to be givers in this church. Now, that's the end of the commercial, end of the family talk between pastor and his people. Uh, so now I just want to commend that to you to consider doing what you must do uh, to be faithful. And now let's turn our attention to the Word of God as found in the book of Philippians chapter 4. And I'm going to begin reading in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Do not worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving in your hearts, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The reading of the sacred word is reliable and it can be trusted. Let's pray together. God, in this moment of anticipation, in this moment of readiness to hear a word from you, we confess to you that our minds can be cluttered we confess to you that our hearts can be distracted. So we pray that your spirit would so free up your worshipers who are gathered in your name, so free us up in this moment that we, we truly can hear and receive a word of very good news that changes everything. We pray that you would speak and that you would enable us to hear you. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, and all the sons and daughters of God, said with one voice, amen. So in 2016, Christmas, Laura and I decided that for Christmas, we would agree that year 
to only buy stockings for each other. We decided we're just going to focus on the kids. Let's focus on the boys. Let's just get simple and give each other a stocking. And whatever's in the stocking is the gift. Let's keep it under control because Laura knows that I break the rules when it comes to Christmas. I make no apologies about it. I'm just here to tell you I don't play fairly when it comes to Christmas. So I agreed with Laura, sounds great, babe, good idea. Let's keep it simple. Let's just get each other a stocking. And so on Christmas morning, we both emerged. We watched the kids have a great time. And then she presented me my stocking and it was awesome. And then I presented her stocking. (laughs) And crammed it with every kind of good thing you can imagine. I didn't play by the rules. It was literally as tall as she was from end to end, filled with all kinds of goodness, right? Now, I tell you this story. I got in trouble a little bit that morning, but she got over it. I tell you that story for two reasons. Number one, because I rock at Christmas. Number two, number two, because isn't This, it, at the birth of Jesus, all of humankind is invited into a kind of gift exchange of the ages. And no matter what we have to bring, no matter what level of brokenness or loneliness or longing, no matter how it is that at times we can be hanging on by a very thin thread and we bring that thin thread to him, no matter what we bring, it is as if in the birth of Christ, we bring all that we have and all that we don't have and lay it there beside the manger filled with hay. And this baby, this baby gives to us in exchange for whatever it is that we have or don't have. This baby gives to us hope and gives to us peace and gives to us love. And and as the great theologian, little Owen Courtney says, we get joy. And it's, it's in my mind and heart today that There is a kind of overwhelming gift that we get in Christ. So much so that it's larger and more filled with goodness than we could have ever anticipated because God didn't play by the rules. That's called grace. No matter what we have to give him, whether it's beautiful or broken, God brings to us an overwhelming gift of power, love, sound mind. And today, I just... I want to say this to you because I know that somebody came here today and you almost didn't. Somebody has come here today to this campus or you might be kind of dialing in online right now and you are hanging on by a very thin thread. And something has happened in your life that has upended your life and it's upside down, it's inside out and you don't know how you're gonna get out of this current chaos that you may be experiencing. And someone has come here today with a kind of confusion of heart and instability of mind. And I want you to hear your pastor say, you can bring all of that to God. And in exchange, through Jesus Christ, 
God wants to give to you a kind of enduring peace, the likes of which you could have never imagined. A kind of peace that has the power to guard your hearts and your minds. So today I want to talk a little bit about the chaos that we live I want to talk a little bit about what it feels like to live in the season of trouble and chaos and confusion when you feel as if it is about to unravel. But then I want to talk about the kind of peace that we're talking about here, the kind that has the capacity to help you endure any storm. And some of you I know are note takers, and I I want you to just simply entitle this message that God has laid on my heart to you. I, I I want you to entitle this message Outer chaos, inner peace. And can you just let that phrase provoke you here for just a moment? Isn't it compelling to, to think it's possible to live in a world where there is outer chaos all around us and the wind blows and the rains fall and the floods rise and yet for it to be possible simultaneously to have an inner peace that steadies the ship. Yeah. Well, it is. But in order for us to talk about how to truly experience or live into that kind of peace, we have to get our definitions straight because sometimes we speak about peace inadequately. We have insufficient ways to talk about peace because if we don't examine what we're really talking about when we throw these words around like peace, then we may live our whole life having never known it, felt it, touched it, embraced it because we were looking for something other than the thing that is born in a stable at Christmas. See, sometimes we think of peace in really binary terms. We think that, that I'm going through life and I'm either in a state of peace or a state of chaos. And we think to ourselves, really, they can't be simultaneously happening at the same time. I am either in a state of chaos and and everything is just falling apart, or I'm in a state of peace. And much of the time, we assume that when we can get past the season of chaos and the trouble and the heartache and the grief and the worry, when we get past that, then somehow peace may come. But I'm here to tell you that that is not the vision of peace that we read about in Scripture. The one that is introduced to us in Scripture, namely in the person of Jesus, is better than that. See, peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is the presence of an ever-present help in time of trouble. Can you let that just settle in on your heart there? Peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is an ever-present help in time of trouble. And if you pay attention to what happens throughout the narrative of this faith story that we call Scripture, at every turn there are examples of individuals and, and whole groups of people, persons and peoples, who experience great turmoil, chaos, confusion, suffering, And God responds by giving them a kind of peace, but God rarely ever issues the peace after the storm is over. Every time God shows up in the midst of the trouble to bring a peace 
that can hold you together from the inside when everything outside is falling apart. So Noah is floating on a world deluged, like a, like a cork bobbing on the ocean surface. And we're told that in the midst of the storm, God remembered Noah and began the process of recreation, both around him and within him. We read about Moses, who was in a wilderness journey for 40 years of his own before the Exodus and the story of the people of Israel going through the wilderness journey for 40 years. Moses, as an exile, completely alone in his own wilderness, suddenly sees in a burning bush, a bush on fire but not being destroyed, the possibility that he is with the great I am who will not destroy him. The people of Israel liberated from Egyptian enslavement and for 40 years they make it through the wilderness and God doesn't promise peace once they cross over the Jordan into the promised land. No, instead, God abides with them as a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night so that as they endure the turmoil and the unknown of the wilderness, there is an ever-present help in time of trouble. Daniel, thrown in the lion's den, who sings not because the lions were removed from the den, but because in the presence of that threat, there was the presence of an ever-present help that gave him a song to sing. The Hebrew children who refused to bend a knee to an evil emperor were thrown into the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, but it was seen that there was a fourth person in there not cooling the furnace, not shutting down the fire, but stepping into the fire with them. This is why the psalmist tells the truth in Psalm 46 when he declares God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. Do you know what it means to experience the God who is an ever-present help in times of trouble. See, some of us go through life feeling as if we are void of having any access to the peace that we give lip service to here at church because we assume that peace is the absence of trouble. And if I could just somehow get over the hump, if I can just turn the corner, if, if the page would just turn for me, everything would be just fine. It's what I call the illusion of conclusion. When I talk to pastor friends of mine at other churches, we talk sometimes about the recurring challenges of pastoral ministry. And you think once this season's over, it's gonna be fine. Once we go through this thing at my church, it's gonna be fine. But the trouble is, it's an illusion of conclusion because we are always becoming, right? Sunday's always coming. And yet, what about in your life? Have you not at some point in your journey ever come to a place where you're like, you know, if we can just get the kids through college, we're going to be fine. If we, if we can just, if we just find a house in this market, it would be, 
We'll be fine. All the troubles will go away. If we can just get out from under debt, it, it's going to be fantastic. If we can just find the right counselor, then the marriage will be saved. If, if I could just lose the last 10 pounds, everything, the sun will rise and the clouds will part. And yeah, Can I just tell you the truth? There's always another 10 pounds. Laura and I were talking about this the other day, not the 10 pounds part, but we were talking about the illusion of conclusion. When we were raising the boys as they were toddlers, like, well, not toddlers, but like diaper age, baby t- diaper age, I remember being there in the room, and we had, at the time, it was a new invention. It was a, di- it was a diaper genie, where you take the dirty, soiled diaper, and you put it in this thing, and you twist it, and it makes the room allegedly smell better, Right? And ours stopped working one day, and it was, so we had a, a genie full of diapers and, you know, soiled diapers in my hands and some rolled up on the floor. And it was like, this is the metaphor of what I feel like in my life right now, you know. And I remember we, we would say to one another, if we could, you know, if we, just, if we just get past the diaper stage, parenting is going to be a breeze. Yeah. Nobody told me that at six years old, Jackson would walk in having shaved both eyebrows off his face <laughs> before school pictures. I mean, if you're, if you're raising children and you got young children, parents, I just want to talk to you for a moment because I know what it feels like to feel like if we could just, oh, if we just get over the hump, round the corner, if we could just turn the page, everything's going to be fine. There's, there's always going to be another season. But you know what? can change your awareness that peace doesn't come at the end of this season. Peace can be found as an ever-present help in the midst of this season. Yeah. Yeah. So this is what we do. We put all of our eggs in the, well, help is coming basket. And we rarely see the possibility that the one who was made flesh to dwell among us offers us a steadiness of heart even now while the waters roar and foam at their tumult, while the mountains quake in the heart of the sea, even now. It's possible to live with a steadiness of mind and a stability of heart like we had never known. Yeah. When was the last time you felt peace in the midst of your storm. That's what I'm talking about today. So part of what I want to say, Pastor awkwardly finds his place in his notes, is that it is not when our season of trouble is over that peace comes, right? That's the illusion of conclusion. The truth of the matter is this. Chaos is why he came. And chaos is how he came. Now that first statement there, most of us believe and can assume, well, of course, chaos is why he came. I mean, we know we live in a world that is vexed by sin, broken, fragmented by our own selfish trajectories and our own self-serving ways. We know that chaos is why he came to reconcile back to God a world that God so deeply loves. We know chaos is why he came, but sometimes we forget that chaos is how he came. 
Have we ever stopped long enough to think about the stories of his birth are, well, they're, they're saturated with trouble, chaos, confusion, even violence. There just before the turning of time at 4 BC, the, the, the land in which Jesus was born was riddled with both political and social upheaval, evil tyrants. We're told that when he's about two years old, Jesus, the Magi come to see him. Remember the story? And the Magi stop to ask King Herod for directions. Paranoid King Herod then sends his minions into Bethlehem to rid himself of the problem of a competing king, and they massacre all of the boys two years old and under from that village in the surrounding area. So Jesus has to go as a, as a refugee fleeing to Egypt. The angel comes to Joseph in a dream and warms him, you better go to Egypt. And he goes to Egypt where he stays. Some have estimated anywhere from two to four years. Living as a refugee, an exile, an immigrant in Egypt. Now, most developmental psychologists, the people who study us, tell us that the most significant time in any of our lives is those first few years when we are shaped, when our orientation to life is formed, when our expectations are formed, when we gather the lens through which we're going to see life through the rest of our lives. And imagine for just a moment with me that he doesn't move back and settle in Nazareth until he's maybe five or six Think of all that he saw as he was being raised among those who were on the outside looking in. Our Lord raised as a refugee, raised as an immigrant, raised to pay attention to those with no power and at the bottom of society's structure and ladder and institutions. Imagine how that may have shaped how he sees, how he lives what he teaches, and why he dies. Now, by the time he gets to Nazareth, he may be five or six years old. I don't know if Jesus at that point had attempted to shave his eyebrows or not, but I know he had experienced everything up to that point that would shape him for the rest of his human journey. The truth is chaos is not just why you came, chaos is how he came, because when we talk about the incarnation, the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us, we're not talking about this baby of peace so gently laying in a manger in a world of chaos. No, we're talking about the divine taking on the, the it being enfleshed by pain and suffering and chaos and confusion. As Eugene Peterson translates that gorgeous 14th verse in the prologue of the gospel of John the word became flesh took on flesh and bone and moved into our neighborhood God knows chaos but the good news is your chaos is actually the access point for the for the Emmanuel of God to show up in your life this is why the word Emmanuel means so much. You know these stories. Joseph has a life that is well-scripted. He's planned for it. He's organized. He's saved money for it. He's engaged to this young woman, this virgin named Mary. 
She goes away for three months to visit her cousin and comes back three months pregnant. What? And everything in his life is turned upside down. Talk about chaos. And he decides he's going to put her away, get rid of her, give her some dignity, just sign a bill of divorce and be done with her. And just as he decides to do that, we pick up this scripture in the first chapter of Matthew. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, most of us know that story, and we know that the name Emmanuel means God is with us, Emmanuel, the God who is with us. But most of us learn the story through the birth of Jesus. But what we sometimes forget is that Matthew, the one who tells us about the birth of Jesus, reaches back and pulls forward an older story from the prophet Isaiah. That's why in your Bible, that print may be indented, it may be centered, it may have italics around it. Because there was an old king hundreds of years before the birth of Jesus, and he was shaking in his sandals because he knew that there were these two kingdoms who were about to unite and attack his kingdom. He was a goner. Chaos was coming, and he couldn't stop it. And Isaiah comes to him and says, the Lord has a word of encouragement for you. Ask the Lord for a sign. He'll give it to you. He refused to ask for a sign. And so Isaiah said, well, fine. He's going to give you one anyway. We pick up in the seventh chapter of Isaiah. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz saying, ask a sign of the Lord, your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol, as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah, rolling his eyes, said, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look. The young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He, he shall eat curds and honey. And by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. But before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. What's happening here? The word came to Ahaz, look, you need a sign that chaos is coming, yes, but you will be okay. You need a sign because you know there will be outer chaos very soon, but you need an inner peace. So here is your sign. And he literally turns, and there's a woman who is clearly pregnant. Now, I've learned to never assume a woman is pregnant. But that's another story for another sermon another time. She's clearly pregnant, and Isaiah says, behold, a young woman will conceive and bear a son. It's coming. The baby's coming. But by the time this son is old enough, old enough to know right from wrong, by the time this woman's kid is old enough to know better and not shave his eyebrows off his face, all shall be well. The two kings you're fearing, their land will be desolate and deserted. What's the point here? The point is, as old as Ahaz the message of peace is clear. It's not in the absence of trouble. It's in the presence of trouble. 
As old as the birth of Christ, it's clear. Peace comes not in the absence of trouble, but in the presence of trouble, as an ever-present help in that trouble. And if you and I can think of it that way, then we now see chaos as an access point for the Emmanuel of God to show up in your life. We typically interpret chaos as the thing we want to resist and avoid at all costs, but what if it is in in the very suffering itself, in the very trouble that you can't resolve on your own, that in this space, it is the access point for the divine to show up as Emmanuel and prove to you what he proved to Joseph and prove to you what he proved to Ahaz, and that is that he is always, always has been and always will be an ever-present help in time of trouble. Yeah, yeah. If we thought this way, my friends, it would change how we think about chaos. In fact, we would start to think of chaos as not something to fear, but to receive like an old friend who has something to teach us. Remember what Rohr says, don't let go of your suffering until you have learned what it has to teach you. Somebody may want to write that down or tweet that out. Don't let go of your suffering until you've learned what it has to teach you. Because if we can open our, the space of our heart by faith, then in the midst of chaos, we can see our own Patterns emerge. We can see our own hidden motives begin to emerge. We can see our own misplaced confidences begin to come to the surface. And in seeing them, we can be transformed because then and only then will we shift and put our confidence in the only one who is an ever-present help in time of trouble. Yeah, it would change how we think about chaos, but it would also change how we think about peace. Because peace, my friends, is not you know, like the sound of a babbling brook or birds singing or or gentle breezes blowing. Peace in the biblical sense is the word shalom. And to understand shalom, it means wholeness, unity, togetherness, balance. Maybe the best definition of shalom, the kind of peace that God actually wants you to have, is harmony. Harmony. When was the last time you felt like your life was in harmony with others and with God and maybe even with yourself? But the problem is you can't appreciate harmony until you know what dissonance sounds like. This is the sound of dissonance. Yeah. Monty, did you see? I just cut him off just like... So your, your job's in jeopardy. I may just do this next week. Kidding, kidding. Now this time, do the same thing, um, Glenn, but hold it. Just, just hold that nasty chord. Do it again. Just sustain it. Keep it going for just a moment. That is, that is what some seasons feel like. It's not finished, it's not resolved, it's, it's detached, it's chaos, it's, it's ugly. But do it, do it again. But what the soul is longing for is for it to resolve into something. 
feel that? You feel that? One, one more time. Resolving into. You cannot, thank you, Glenn. You can not understand the true beauty of authentic peace as it comes through Christ until you understand that it is a harmony that can only be appreciated after the dissonance. It's a harmony that emerges from within the dissonance. So when you see yourself unable to find the exit ramp for the chaos you're in, the confusion, the trouble you're in, understand it may be an access point for the Emmanuel of God to come and play music in your life, to resolve the dissonance in your life into something harmonious and beautiful, which we call peace. And it may be that where you are, you are living the words of this song. Sometimes he, he calms the storm. But listen, all who sail the sea of faith find out before too long how quickly blue skies can grow dark and, and gentle winds grow strong. Suddenly, fear is like white water pounding on the soul. Still, we sail on knowing that our Lord is in control. Sometimes he calms the storm with a whispered, peace, be still. He, he can settle any sea, but it doesn't mean he will. Sometimes he holds us close and lets the wind and waves go wild. Sometimes he calms the storm and other times he calms the child.